All right, all right, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles. Let's turn. Uh, actually, we're going to turn to a few different passages today, so you might just keep your Bible ready as we're continuing our series, Brave in the New World. We're going to look at a number of different passages. I have them on the screen, but uh, certainly encourage you to look them up yourselves, maybe take a note of uh, which passages I reference for this topic today. You know, last year when I originally pitched the idea of preaching this message, Brave in the New World, I talked about some things that I wanted to address in our world right now. And Mike Vernon, of course, uh, said, you know what, Tony, you should really cover the topic of marijuana. That's an important thing in our world and something that our state at that time was considering legalizing. Now it is legalized. And I knew as soon as Mike said that, that he was right, that I needed to cover that topic in a message like this. So we're going to do that today. In the last few weeks, we've looked at several important issues in the Christian life that we're dealing with in our, you know, in our world right now, trying to be brave in the new world. We've looked at gender, and that's incredibly important. We've looked at marriage. We've looked at sexuality. We've looked at parenting. We looked at human dignity last week. Today I want to talk about dope. <laughs> that I'm talking about it, right? What does the Bible say about marijuana? You're wondering, aren't you? When I was a kid, I used to play baseball uh, every summer. And I was pretty good at baseball. I love baseball. But, you know, it's, it's hot in Texas in the summer, and so... Every summer, too, you went to the swimming pool and you, you swam in the pool. You did in Texas or else you melted. <laughs> and so, it, but then our coaches, our baseball coaches, would get annoyed with us for swimming throughout the day because we'd go and we'd swim and we'd get tuckered out swimming. And then we would play bad at night. And so the coaches told us all, no swimming. Don't go swimming throughout the day. Well, my mom didn't care what my coaches said. <laughs> That tells you a little bit about my mom. Uh, and she, you know, if we got rowdy or whatever, she's like, go to the pool. Go to the pool. I don't care if you have a game today, go to the pool. And uh, so we did. And, you know, despite my mom's reservations, it was true what my baseball coaches said, that, you know, if we did swim at the pool all day, get worn out, then we didn't play baseball at well as well in the evening. If you exhaust your energy swimming all day, you can't play baseball in the evening. Well, there's something similar going on in my mind as we're talking about brave in the new world. I only have so much energy to speak out about certain things or decry what's going on in our world. So I need to steward my energy for the really important things. The truth about gender is absolutely essential for Christians. I get animated about that. And I want people to know the truth about gender. Same thing about marriage, same thing about sex, same thing about children, same thing about human dignity. Our understanding of those topics is absolutely essential for us. And some of you this morning, you might say, yeah, Pastor Tony, those subjects are important, but come on, marijuana, really? Really? Is that really worth your time and your energy to study about it and to dedicate a sermon towards it? I'll be honest with you, I can't get animated about genetically modified fruits and vegetables. Maybe some of you can. I can't. Convince me otherwise later. 
Okay, I'm not going to preach a sermon on what does the Bible say about genetically modified fruits and vegetables. I can't get that animated about video games or, or teenage obesity or Harry Potter. I'm not going to preach a message on those topics. But what about marijuana? Is this topic worthy of a sermon? Is it worthy of my energy to study up on it and discuss what the Bible says about it? Yes. Yes, it is. And by the time that I'm done this morning, I hope that you will understand why, if you don't already. I want to start here. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. You can read this on the screen. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. I learned it this way as a kid. Holman Christian Standard Bible says it this way. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Here's a real question we have to ask as Christians, now that, especially now that cannabis is legal in our state. Does cannabis build up? Is it helpful to us? Even if it's permissible, is it beneficial? I mean, I say it's legal in our state, but it, technically it's not legal federally. You should know that. And, you know, in the category of permissible but not beneficial, write down these six myths about marijuana. I want to demythologize the narrative that surrounds cannabis in our country right now, okay? Six myths about marijuana, number one. Here's a myth. Marijuana is harmless. It's harmless. I read a book this last week called Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. George Bennett recommended this book for me. And I'll just make a deal with you, Harvest Decatur. Before you speak positively about legalizing marijuana to your kids or to the public, read that book first. It might change your mind on being positive about it. The book is written by a New York Times journalist named, named Alex Berenson, who I don't think he's a Christian. He doesn't say he is. And he covered the pharmaceutical industry for years. Berenson was initially ambivalent about uh, the legalization of marijuana. But then he started doing some digging, and he found that there's a correlation between marijuana and mental illness, specifically schizophrenia and also violent behavior, a strong correlation in some instances. And this all started with Barrison, you can read this in the book, with a conversation he had with his wife when they were discussing uh, at one time together this horrific crime that took place in the state of New York that involved children, just too horrific, too grisly for me to even tell you about right now. And uh, Barrison's wife is a psychiatrist and she's a mental health professional. And just kind of casually as they were talking about this horrific crime, his wife said, yeah, of, uh, of course he was high, you know, been smoking pot his entire life. To which Berenson responded to that, of course, question mark, what do you mean, of course? And his wife told him, yeah, of course, in all cases like this, the assailants smoke weed. That was her experience. And that conversation is what led Berenson to write this book and to do all this research. Berenson details in that book the link between marijuana and violence 
that has been hidden in large part in this country by the cannabis lobby that's growing increasingly powerful in our country. In places like England, marijuana, has, marijuana use has plunged because research has come out and there's clarity about these dangers. And even though it's legalized in some way or another, the people know the dangers inherent with it. And so the, the uh, use has gone down. And in our country, that kind of research has been silenced or obscured because there's this driving push to commodify and commercialize cannabis for economic benefit for people who are part of the, the cannabis lobby. One of the things that people are unaware of, too, as well, and the book details this, um, you know, that a lot of people were exposed to marijuana for the first time in the 1960s and 1970s when it came in from Mexico and um, that drug that was smoked and spread at that time was a lot different than the marijuana that's out there today. The THC content of that, what Berenson calls weak weed from Mexico, he, he says that's basically cannabis's equivalent to near beer in the 1960s and the 1970s. It had about 1% THC. THC is the chemical component in marijuana that makes you high. So at most, people just got a small little buzz from smoking that. Today, marijuana has been altered to increase that THC content, uh, content to 20 to 25%. So we've gone from weak weed, 1%, to somewhere around 20 to 25% THC. In some cases, it's even higher with some of the specialized stuff that they produce now. So in, in in cases like this, you're dealing with a drug that is 25 times more potent than it used to be. And this is problematic for parents. You know, maybe, maybe even some parents in this room who smoked a few joints in high school, smoked a few joints in college, didn't really do anything for you. Not really that big a deal if your kids do that too or if some other kids do it. It's not the same drug. The same effects aren't going to take place with what happened back then that's, than what's, with what's happening right now. And also, it's, it's scary how unregulated the whole industry is. I mean, milk is more highly regulated in our country right now than marijuana in some of the legal states. You know, this doesn't go through FDA approval. There's no, you know, due diligence in terms of the people who are, even know what they're smoking or know what they're buying. Write this down as a second myth about marijuana. A second myth that circulates, and it circulated when I was a kid, marijuana isn't addictive, people say. And you, you might put an asterisk on this. You can if you want to. Uh, because there's plenty of people that have smoked marijuana and have not become addicts. And, you know, there are plenty of other drugs that are far more addictive than marijuana. I concede that. I do. Heroin, crack, cocaine, meth, Opioids, even in our day, like OxyContin and fentanyl, they are much more addictive than marijuana. But the myth that circulates uh, is that, that, that you know, marijuana isn't, isn't addictive. That's just not true, and that doesn't bear out. In fact, plenty of evidence suggests that it's extremely addictive for those people who use it repeatedly or excessively. It's, it's kind of like alcohol in that way. I mean, there's plenty of people that just kind of drink occasionally or drink once or twice and don't really drink. But as you start drinking more and more, the addiction starts to build. And that same thing takes place as people smoke marijuana in higher frequency. And that, that same thing takes place, by the way, the younger you are when you smoke weed. 
One thing that people won't tell you is in places like Colorado, where the legal uh, age for smoking marijuana is 21, the rates of marijuana use among teenagers has increased as well. That's an inevitable result of that legislation. So get ready for it here in Illinois. The following statement is from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. You can read this on the screen. Marijuana use can lead to the development of problem use, known as marijuana use disorder, which takes the form of addiction in severe cases. Recent data suggests that 30% of those who use marijuana may have some degree of marijuana use disorder. People who begin using marijuana before the age of 18, listen, hear me on this, parents, are four to seven times more likely to develop a marijuana use disorder than adults. Four to seven times, that's, and that's not even taking into account the fact that your teenager's brain is still developing. I probably don't have to prove that to you. You know that. They're, they're, and, and so when you introduce this chemical compound that, that affects the brain, I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about that. The research is still being developed on that. The truth about this has been obscured by the cannabis lobby in America, but I think, I think two people in our country right now are willfully naive about the effects of marijuana. They just want to get high. It's ironic to me because I, I, mean, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and I grew up in that time when, you know, all that research had finally come out about the effects of cigarette smoke and the link between cigarette smoke and, and lung cancer after, you know, cigarette companies had kind of put it down and put it down and put it down. And we demonized those companies for not telling us the truth about cigarette smoke. And you might say rightfully so. They should have told us the truth. Okay, but now we live in a day when, you know, you can see commercials on TV where people are decrying the effects of cigarette smoke, and then people are pushing, pushing, pushing to legalize marijuana without any thought, like, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should do the research on this. And I'll just speak for myself. You know, I'm, I'm not for cigarette smoking, but I'm much more comfortable standing next to a person who's lighting up a cigarette than I am standing next to a person that's lighting up a joint. One of those is a mind-altering drug that can induce psychosis. The other is not. Are you all with me? Write this down as a third myth about marijuana. Here's a myth that I don't even know where to start with this. Marijuana has curative properties, people will tell you. The cannabis lobby has worked really hard to make medical marijuana use legal and acceptable. That was part of their strategy from the beginning, by the way. First, legalize medical marijuana, and then after that's acceptable, then decriminalize marijuana use, and then you can start legalizing recreational marijuana. And that, that strategy, by the way, was fantastic. It has worked so well. Big name Financial backers like George Soros and George Simmer, the founder of Men's Warehouse, who's been a longtime marijuana use, user, started to put all kinds of money into this. And one of the theories that they began circulating was that marijuana could cure diseases if we would just let it out, you know, like cancer and dementia, even irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, smoke weed, and it'll fix that problem. The problem with that is that marijuana has never been proven to have curative 
properties. And people talk about it like, like the Greek father from my big fat Greek wedding with his Windex. You got psoriasis? Spray some Windex on it. You'll be fine. You got arthritis in your joints? Spray some Windex on it. You'll be great. You guys know people talk like this about marijuana. Here's a quote from Berenson's book on that. You can read this on the screen. Hundreds of thousands of biomedical researchers worldwide spend their lives trying to figure out how diseases damage the body and how to stop them. Why would a single plant, marijuana, treat conditions as different as dementia, irritable bowel syndrome, and even cancer? Even if it did, why would it treat them better than compounds that scientists have discovered and refined over the last century? We don't pretend that garlic or nightshade cures diseases better than more modern medicines. Why do we do that with marijuana? The most that marijuana can do, that's been proven to do, is alleviate pain. And, and to be honest, that is questionable by some people. And, and the, here's the thing that I've been reasoning through for a while. Like, even if it is effective in alleviating pain, why not send it through drug evaluation process through the FDA and make it get approved like every other drug that comes on the market? Marijuana has never done that. Somehow it has some, some free pass from the FDA to come right to us. And here's the argument I've been making too for a while. Why not encapsulate it and then make people take it orally? Why smoke it? Who smokes medicine? Really, I mean... I just got an antibiotic the other day from my dentist. He didn't say, take it home, put it in flammable paper, and light it up and inhale it into your lungs. Who does that? The FDA would never allow that. And besides that, you, I mean, smoking it, you're bringing in all these carcinogens and other things. You, it, it's, it's ineffective in the way that it works in your bloodstream, from what I know. Other people know more about than I, that than I do. I've known this for many years, and maybe you've known this as, as well. Medical marijuana, that whole campaign, has been nothing more than a ruse by marijuana advocates who are trying to make pot more acceptable and legitimate in the eyes of the public. And I'll tell you, it's worked. It's worked fabulously, that whole strategy. In 1999, 20 years ago, 73% of Americans supported medical marijuana usage, 73%. That number used to be 20%. Now, it's closer to 90%. Some people say 95% of Americans are supportive of medical marijuana. Um, even though it's never been passed, it's never passed an FDA trial like every other medicine in America before it's brought to market. And even though the majority of doctors in America won't prescribe it, it has never been proven to have curative properties. Its effectiveness, even as a pain reliever, has been dubious, according to some studies, not even as effective as ibuprofen or Tylenol. According to a recent Gallup poll, despite all of this, this is a recent Gallup poll, 65% of Americans now say smoking pot is morally acceptable. And now something like 60% of Americans support the legalization of recreational marijuana. So we have 90-something percent that want medical marijuana, 60% of Americans support recreational marijuana. And, and I just got to say, I want you to hear me say that we have been duped, people. We've been duped by people who are advocating for, for this 
just like people in the 20th century were duped about tobacco and nicotine, but we don't really seem to care anymore. Write this down as as a fourth myth about marijuana. You might hear this, marijuana is the solution for the opioid crisis. This is, I think this is the most sinister of these arguments for the legalization of marijuana. Berenson actually details in that book that marijuana has actually led to higher incidence of opioid deaths in North America. And there's a strong correlation between opioid deaths and marijuana in America and Canada, higher than other Western nations. The cannabis lobby doesn't want you to know that. And that's not a new thing. Marijuana was highly correlated with cocaine and cocaine deaths in the 1980s and 1990s. That's why when I grew up, we had a campaign in school that said, just say no. Yes, ma'am, Nancy Reagan. We just said no. And it worked, too. High school uh, students in my day were half as likely to smoke weed as high school students in my dad's day. It worked. And then, since then, since we abandoned that, now marijuana use has gone up. For the last 25 years, it's use in America, even though in some places, like I said earlier in Britain, it's gone down because research has shown that it's dangerous. It's funny how the the narrative about marijuana has changed even throughout my lifetime. You know, people used to say, this used to be a phrase used by a lot of people, marijuana is a gateway drug. I heard that as a kid. You probably did too. Then people started to say that marijuana is a gateway drug is a myth. Well, research has shown, if you look it up, that marijuana is a gateway drug is a myth, is actually a myth. <laughs> and, and sure, I mean, you might say, well, I, I smoked weed and I never had any trouble, or this guy smoked weed twice, never had a problem. When you start taking out the people uh, out of your sample who just do it occasionally or do it once or do it twice, you start looking at people who are, who are heavily into marijuana, then you're, there's, a, there's a high correlation there between other drug use and more, more dangerous types of drug use. And people say, oh, you know, marijuana is a gateway drug. People who say that are naive. No, it's the exact opposite. People who deny that are naive about the effects of marijuana. Write this down as number five, marijuana legalization. Here's another sinister argument. It will eliminate black market demand. In states where marijuana has been legalized. The black market demand has gone up, not down, for drugs. Everybody hear me on that? Let me say it again. In states where it's been legalized, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, at the time of this study, black market demand for cannabis has gone up. There's not enough research now in Illinois to know if that's going to happen or not, but you might assume that it will. Why is that the case? Why did that happen? Well, here's why. Nobody likes paying taxes, even weed smokers. And so when you start to regulate stuff and when you start to tax stuff, people just go to the black market. Nobody wants to pay the piper. Nobody wants to pay Uncle Sam. Right? Don't amen that, but it's true. Even we don't like paying Uncle Sam. And sometimes Uncle Sam makes business difficult. Black market. That's easier. Write this down as a sixth myth about marijuana. Marijuana is not a public hazard. In his book, Berenson reports that 
those four states that legalized marijuana in 2014 and 15, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, all of those states have seen sharp increases in murder and aggravated assault. Also, there's data that's emerged in Texas recently, a place that has a relatively low rate of marijuana use compared to other states. Only one in 50 Texans are daily marijuana users, according to this study. But despite those low rates, a recent report has shown that of all the child deaths from abuse or neglect in Texas in 2017, all the, the, the deaths that resulted from abuse or neglect in 2017, one year, authorities found that one-third of the perpetrators were using cannabis at the time of the death of that child. That's higher than alcohol. That's higher than other drugs. Nobody ever tells you that, do they? In this country, I think we've worked really hard to reduce alcohol-related deaths, especially deaths that involve drunk driving. I think about organizations like Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, but now we have unleashed a mind-altering drug that impairs cognitive skills into our country without any real warning about the dangers of impaired driving or impaired working. In that book, Berenson talks uh, about this uh, local radio show in Denver, Colorado. It's been, marijuana's been legalized in Colorado since 2014. And they did this survey on the radio show and they found out that 15% of the people in the state had reported using marijuana on the job. 15%. Can I just tell you, that's terrifying to me. What are we talking about on the job? By the way, I've spoken to several uh, people in the Decatur area, employees. I've done my own little investigative reporting here in Decatur. And I just wanted to hear from employers and from people who work at companies in Decatur, you know, what's the policy on marijuana and what happens? And here's my investigative report as your pastor. If you smoke weed, your job prospects will be limited in this city. Everybody hear me? It may be legal, but is it beneficial for your career development? I don't think so. You know, nobody's on TV telling you that. Our governor, Governor Pritzker, won't tell you that. He ran on a platform of marijuana legalization. He won't tell you that your job prospects are going to be hurt if you smoke weed. John Boehner won't tell you that. John Boehner was the Republican Speaker of the House. He used to oppose the legalization of marijuana. Now he sits on the board of a cannabis company. He tells people, my thinking on cannabis has evolved. I think that's cowardly and shameful to do that. John Boehner won't tell you this. Governor Pritzker won't tell you this. I'll tell you this. If you want to be gainfully employed in this city or in this state, you better not smoke weed. It's going to hurt your career prospects. You might say, Pastor Tony, I'm going to be a rock star. It doesn't matter. I can smoke all the weed I want. Well, if you're going to be a rock star, you probably should smoke weed. You're already in an altered state of delusion. That last comment was sarcastic. 
So enough with the myths. Are we done with the myths? Can we talk about what the Bible says about this? Write these down. As I've been reasoning through this this last week, I see four truths concerning marijuana from the Bible. So let me give you these. Number one, the scriptures forbid intoxication. And people smoke weed for intoxication, typically. Now, I know this is an argument from analogy. I admit that the Bible, Bible doesn't explicitly talk about marijuana, but it does prohibit drunkenness. And my argument here uh, is that if God doesn't want you to be intoxicated with alcohol, why should he want you to be intoxicated with marijuana? Something like that. It's, it's analogical. It's an analogical argument. And there's plenty on, in the Bible on drunkenness. Here's just a couple passages. Isaiah 5, verse 11 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Ephesians 5, 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Some of you might say, Pastor Tony, I don't get drunk on wine. I get drunk on beer, so I'm good. I get drunk on Jose Cuervo tequila, Pastor Tony. I'm good. Does that make sense? Would anybody ever argue that? No, that's ridiculous. But the same kinds of arguments, you know, Pastor Tony, you know, it's, we're not talking about drinking here. We're talking about smoking a little weed. We're getting high. It's different. Here's, how, here's what I would say to that. Are you sure that the God who said, do not get drunk on wine, would be okay with you getting high on weed? I don't think so. You could use the same argument, honestly, for crack cocaine. You could use the same argument for heroin. I don't think the argument works. And, you know, two, I just want to talk about prohibitions like this and God forbidding something. When God says don't do something, he, he's trying to protect us. He loves us. He's trying to, to keep us from harm and danger. So I want to err on the side of caution in this regard. About 10 years ago, I, I preached a sermon called Kicking Legalism to the Curb. You remember that series I did 10 years ago? Uh, it's from the book of Galatians. And we used, we used to have this website that would take prayer requests from people. And I, I, I got a prayer request through the website that went like this. I'm not sure if this person was being sarcastic or not. Uh, he said, I would like a prayer session for legalism of marijuana. I think he meant legalization, but I, I don't know. He says, God made it, marijuana, so it's perfectly fine. Oh, and I would like a prayer for open-mindedness, of which most religious people are not. Let's just take this person seriously here and talk about this. Maybe some of you have asked that question too. Maybe you've heard an argument that goes kind of like this. Well, the Bible says that God gave us every seed-bearing plant to enjoy his food, right? That includes marijuana, seed-bearing plant. So ipso facto, I can smoke marijuana. You guys ever thought that or been asked a question like that? Here's my answer to that. Yes, God created all seed-bearing plants for us to enjoy. Marijuana is a seed-bearing plant. But God also gave us grapes, and grapes are good. 
And he still told us in the post-fall era to not get drunk on wine that comes from grapes. Also, I think this is key to the argument too, that statement is made in Genesis 1 about all seed-bearing plants, good for food. There's something that changes the equation from Genesis 1. It's called the fall of man in Genesis 3. That is a game changer, folks. And our world has been corrupted and tainted. We've got into this already. And, and so, you know, God gave us all seed-bearing plants. All seed-bearing plants are good to eat. Cyanide comes from seed-bearing plants. Should we all go eat cyanide and take that? That's like Jim Jones kind of stuff, you know, stick it in your Kool-Aid. Everybody, let's drink it. God made it. It's good. Are we going to go that direction? There's, there's a similar argument there. From what I understand, I did some research on this this last week, 3% of mushrooms are toxic. Maybe more. I don't know. Some of you all know more about this than I do. Uh, they can create liver failure, intestinal pain, even death. Some of those mushrooms could be growing in your backyard right now or even out here on our church property. Would you take the risk? God made these mushrooms, kids. Chow down. Let's eat. Would you risk that? I wouldn't. Write this down as number two. The scriptures tell us to be sober-minded. I think this, even more so than intoxication, gets to the heart of the matter. First Peter chapter 4 says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. First Peter 5 verse 8. This is a favorite word of Peter's. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Listen, this is an inference-based argument, but I'm just going to say this. I've never heard somebody say, look at that guy smoking weed over that. He's so vigilant. He is so sober-minded. That has never been said. And, and when I was a kid, let me just tell you a story. This is kind of terrifying. I don't, need, I don't know if I've even told my parents this. So mom and dad, if you're listening, sorry about this. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was a lifeguard at this pool. And we had these, um, these two college students that were basically potheads that worked with us. And, uh, you know, they, they also talked about themselves as devoted Christians. It was really weird. You know, this is Austin, Texas. Keep Austin weird. That's how, that's how they roll down there. And, and they tried to convince me, because I was, I was 16, they were older than me, that, you know, they were following Jesus. It was like the, the, the Cheech and Chong of Jesus followers. And these two guys, you know, these college students, they were, they were 20-something, they were like 24 or 25 still in college. That, that's a red flag there. And they were working as lifeguards with a bunch of teenagers. That's another red flag right there. And they would actually, they would show up high to work. They would, during work time, teach some of the teenagers around me how to smoke weed and how to get high. I'm not making this up. This really happened. And, and the whole time, they were trying to, you know, because I wouldn't do it, and I was skeptical. that I'd probably see it on my face, like, that guy's not buying what we're selling. So, hey, Tony, we're Christians, man. We're, re we're really Christians. We really believe this stuff. And they would tell me about their Bible studies that they would have. They would get high, and they would have all these crazy revelations from the Lord. Okay, just bear with me here. Back then, I was 16. I was not Pastor Tony back then, Okay. 
I was just a dopey teenager trying to figure out life as a Christian kid. And yet, here's some encouragement to you parents. Even as a 16-year-old, I knew that those guys, as far as Christianity was concerned, those guys were posers. They did not serve the same God that I served. And I knew, I had enough discernment to know, even at 16, that the Holy Spirit inside of me, telling me, Tony, don't do that, was not inside of these two guys. I knew that. And God, you might say too, God protected me. Absolutely, I think that's true. I didn't want anything to do with their brand of Christianity, if you would even call it that. I am Pastor Tony now, so I wish I had another crack at those two. The Bible says this, Galatians 5.24, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, says Paul, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Did we cover it all yet, Paul? Will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, says Paul. That were is past tense you're done with that but you were washed why why are we done you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god can a weed smoking sinner get saved absolutely some of you are breathing a sigh of relief right now oh thank goodness absolutely A weed smoker can get saved. Can an unrepentant weed smoker be saved? Can a serial weed smoker be saved? I don't think so. I don't know how to square that with 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you. You were like this. We're not talking about like an occasional struggle here. We're saying like I'm a proud weed smoker and I'm a Christian. Really? How does that make sense? You know, as Christians, we are called to be sober-minded and vigilant concerning the return of Christ. Vigilant. Jesus is coming back at any moment. We're to be vigilant, not half-baked, not stoned, not blazed, not indulging our desire for escapism or altering our state of consciousness. The Bible tells us to be alert. The Bible tells us to be vigilant. The Bible tells us to be watchful because at any moment, Christ might return. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He said, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And then he said this about the parable of the wicked servant. You can read this on the screen. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You might say, I'm not getting drunk with drunkards, Pastor Tony. I'm getting high with my friends. It's different. You want to take that chance when Christ returns? I don't want to. Write this down as number three. The scripture tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body, Christian, your body, if you're a believer, Holy Spirit's inside of you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Think about your body like the tabernacle of the Old Testament. You remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? There were these different occasions where God filled up that tabernacle with with smoke, with the smoke of his presence. And in one instance, that smoke was so thick, it was so glorious that that it was so overwhelming, the priests couldn't even perform their priestly functions. They were just everybody was overwhelmed by it. That's you, Christian. You are that tabernacle. You are that temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Think of it that way. The smoke of God's presence is in you. Why would you pervert that with marijuana smoke? Why would you mix that together? I don't get it. Is God's temple meant to be stoned? Is God's temple meant to be inebriated by something unholy like that? I don't think so. And finally, write this down as number four. The scriptures tell us to be different from the world. First Peter 4 says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, you're done with that, Christian. This is what you may be used to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead i know that some people might object to the correlation between alcohol and marijuana or drunkenness and getting high but i think that correlation works and if you want more reasoning in that regard there's an article online you can read at the Gospel Coalition called Is Recreational Marijuana Use a Sin? Some people, too, might conclude, well, you know, if we compare alcohol to marijuana, can't, can't we say that the casual use of marijuana is equivalent to the casual drinking of alcohol? You know, a little wine at dinner with your steak, isn't that like taking a few hits on a joint? Alcohol is in the Bible, I would point out. Jesus drank wine. The problem with this is that marijuana use is typically not associated with casual eating or drinking. Here's how Kevin Van Hooser says it. He says, note the difference between drinking alcohol and smoking pot. A glass of wine complements food but doesn't result in intoxication, whereas the whole point of consuming cannabis for recreational purposes is to get high, is to be intoxicated. People don't eat marijuana for the taste. From what I hear, it tastes horrible. People don't add it to brownies and other edible substances because it enhances the flavor. People do that to, to, to ingest THC. And with the high amount of THC content, it doesn't take much anymore. Joe Carter says this in his article. He says, for marijuana, however, a much lower, compared to alcohol, a much lower dosage is needed to induce a state of intoxication. Studies show that intoxication occurs 
At the ingestion of less than seven milligrams of THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, that is approximately the equivalent to four puffs on a marijuana cigarette. You might say, well, what if I only puff three times, Pastor Tony? What if I only puff two times? What if I do like Bill Clinton and don't inhale? Look, at some point, I had, I had to come to this place as a teenager in Austin, Texas, growing up knowing that this world is hostile to what I hold to. Sooner or later, you're going to have to say, why am I trying to get as close to sin as possible and get away with it? Do I love Christ or do I love the world? Do I want to follow Christ or do I want to imitate the world? When I was in high school, I read this book called A Brave New World, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I've, I've been rereading that, that book as part of just kind of preparing for this series just so you know, it's not a cheery book. In fact, in fact, it's incredibly disturbing. And it's not a book for young kids either. It's a science fiction book about a dystopian future where the government takes over the lives of human beings. Children are produced in science labs and predetermined for their future vocations. And all human beings are conditioned as they grow up in nurseries to, to love certain things and to not like other things. It, it's... It's terrifying. And it's just a little too close for comfort. When I, was kid, when I was a kid, I was like, this is crazy. This will never happen. Now I'm like, yeah, that's kind of already happening. Huxley wrote that book in 1932, almost 100 years ago. And the reason I entitled this series Brave in the New World is because I wanted us to think about, okay, our, our world is moving in this bizarro direction in a lot of different categories. What are we going to do about that? The humans that live in this book, they live lives of complete self-indulgence. They are sexually promiscuous. There's no such thing as marriage or fidelity. There's, there's no such thing as sexual purity. And whenever someone feels even the slightest bit unhappy, they take this drug called Soma, and it alters their state of consciousness, and they're happy again. Sort of. And the reason that's terrifying is because that's just a little too close to what I see in the way that people handle marijuana and other drugs, honestly. And in the book, these people are lulled into a state of brainless, receptive subservience to the state. And as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this will never happen as long as we have Christians that are committed to the Lord. You know, Huxley, he was an atheist. He, you know, he didn't write this because he was trying to warn Christians. He was trying to warn the world about the way things were going. But as I read that, I, I just know, even from my childhood, even from my teenage years, I've been swimming upstream. I've been going against the flow. I've been doing something that the world doesn't approve of in order to follow Christ. And as long as we have Christians that do that, that are brave in this new world, we'll be okay. And we'll pray for Christ to come back soon. Romans 12, 2 says this. This is a life verse for me. If you're under the age of 18, you should memorize this verse. If you're older than 18, you should resonate with this. 
Do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Spend your life chasing that. And marijuana will be like, who cares about that? Why would I ever want that? I want the transformation of my mind that comes from God, not from some weed. Last year, I'm almost done. Last year, I read a book by Governor B called Unpopular Culture. I'll close with this. I want us to take communion together and, and worship the Lord and remember our salvation. But I want to close with this. Governor B is a British hip hop artist, and he wrote a book about being different in the culture that we live in. And he said this. You can read this on the screen. He said, we live in a culture where it's becoming more and more common and even encouraged to put pressure on our friends. Make people feel insecure, gossip, bully, and abuse drugs, alcohol, and sex. You're not buying into this way of life. You can become unpopular. And being unpopular often leaves us feeling cut off from society. It says, when I look at the city in which I live, its culture and way of life don't fill me with, such, with much confidence either. I continually hear of stabbings and shootings and suicide and self-harm are increasingly prevalent. I see girls being disrespected by guys and the majority of people appear to be focused on money and material possessions. Countless TV channels are filled with reality shows that encourage self-loathing. We watch others alter their physical appearance in search of the perfect body as we question our own. Why is it popular to do these things, behave in these ways, and hold these views? Could it be that we're all buying into the same story and the same way of doing things just because we don't know anything different? Have we just followed what we've picked up from life experiences and the examples of people around us? I think we can do so much better than the standard of society we've allowed to become the norm. Let's not settle with being products of our culture, reflecting the same values and desires as the masses around us. Let's not succumb to the status quo, fitting into the stereotypes others assign us. We're game changers, Christians. We're revolution makers. We're instigators. <laughs> that resonates with me, Harvest Decatur. Be unpopular. Be different from this world. Follow Jesus. It's better. Let's be brave in this new world. Let's follow Christ, not our culture. Let's be like Jesus and forsake the values and the trappings of this world. God, thank you for your truth. I pray against intoxication in all its forms in this church. Give us sobriety, Lord. Give us sober-mindedness. Give us a desire to live our lives in a holy way because these are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And help us to be different from this world, I pray. Lord, if someone in this room right now needs to be convicted and change behavior 
or maybe change attitudes. God, do that work right now. Holy Spirit, move as only you can move. Transform our minds by your truth. We pray for that. And Lord, the greatest truth presented in the Bible is that in our sinful state, we're all sinners. In our sinful state, Lord, you died on the cross for us and paid for our sins so that we might be redeemed. We celebrate that now, Lord. We worship you. Amen.